Welcome to Let's Talk MedTech, the premier podcast of the medical device and diagnostics industry. My name is Omar Ford, and I'm the managing editor of MDDI, an online publication owned by Informa that covers the medical device and diagnostics sector. On this episode of Let's Talk MedTech, Darren Stark of EY is going to stop by and talk about the supply chain issues in the pharmaceutical industry. Now, I know this is a little bit different from our normal conversations because we primarily focus on med tech and medical devices. We will be touching some of that in the conversation as well, but there are some similarities and some things going on in pharma that branch out into med tech. And this is an important and important episode uh, for everyone in the industry, in both industries to listen to. But before we begin our conversation, I want to take just a minute to ask you a question. Have you heard about MDDIonline.com? Yes, MDDIonline.com is your one-stop shop to find out everything related to the medical device and diagnostic industry. The podcast, Let's Talk MedTech podcast is found there, as well as other content that talks about new approvals, regulatory issues. It runs the gamut of topics related to medical devices and diagnostics. So please check it out at mddionline.com. And now let's talk MedTech with Darren Stark. Darren, thanks for coming on to Let's Talk MedTech. Thanks for coming on to the program. I really appreciate you being here. Yeah, glad to be here, Omar. I'm excited to to talk about supply chain topics. Sure, sure. Now, a lot has changed since uh, I spoke with EY. I, I think it was in October. Uh, this everything's been just moving at a rapid pace, and things have been so fluent. And and October wasn't that long ago. Um, does the fluid nature of this new environment caused by the pandemic make it harder to to spot trends? Does it keep you on your toes? Um, or do we see as soon as one problem or issue props up, we get another? Well, I, I think the it's easy to spot the trends. It's not as easy to to spot the the root cause. Um, you know, we've got a lot of disruption in the in the base chemicals markets, um, and you know, tracking back where the you know what's causing those issues. There's there's a shortage of ores like titanium. Um, uh, ethanol was impacted by the increased uh, use of hand sanitizer in the early parts of the pandemic. Uh, you know, isopropanol being a byproduct of some other uh, downstream processes has been impacted by you know uh, uh, energy shortages in certain supply markets, and you know so. Figuring out when what the root cause is and when the disruption is is actually going to dissipate is is more the issue. We're we're able to to identify the the trends at our doorstep pretty easily. Sure, let's delve more into what's going on uh, on the farmers on the pharma side. Um, what other kinds of disruptions are we seeing, and what have you all been hearing from the industry? So when we talk to our clients, uh, they really have uh, innovative pharma in particular has been pretty uh, not impacted as as heavily. Um, you know, I mentioned raw materials, base raw materials have been impacted. Uh, there was an you know the unexpected ramp up of vaccine manufacturing has created shortages of 
disposable uh, plastics for bioreactors in the, in the biologics industry, um, and the um, sterile uh, filters have also been in, were in short supply and are still are in short supply. But uh, by and large, the industry has been able to you know work with suppliers, work with regulators, and work even amongst themselves to find solutions and, and keep you know the supply chain running in the pharma space. Uh, customer service levels have been maintained at 99 plus percent. Now that's come with some you know, extra energy work planning, you know, many companies have gone back and and not only looked at their end to end supply chain visibility within their own network, but trying to expand that into their critical suppliers and even their customers to get a better sense of of the demand signal as it's more as it fluctuates more. And, you know, these are the kinds of things that are on our clients radar for how do we, you know, how do we, we're already looking at them, but how do we improve them even more in the future to be more resilient? Awesome. And are we seeing increased cost or is it kind of hard to keep up with cost now because of these supply chain demands or issues? Yeah, I mean, everybody's aware of the, the transportation um, issues right now and in the, in the cost, you know, depending on what part of the industry you're in, you know, consumer health and uh, uh, essential medicines, which are largely generics, uh, rely more heavily on uh, ocean shipping to, re- you know, reduce the impact of of uh, transportation costs. So if they've gone to expediting through air, that's obviously a, a erosion on margin for them. Uh, the innovative uh, pharma companies, you know, have leveraged air quite heavily. So the cost there again is incrementally higher, but not significantly. You know, there are, are some increases in costs for raw materials. Um, but I think, you know, we're looking at a 12 to 18 month where that'll level, hopefully level back out. So I don't, I don't think it's anything that's going to ultimately be passed on the con, uh, the consumer. Mm-hmm. Wow. wow. Yes. Yes. That that's interesting. I, I want to be fair and, and ask this question. I, I know COVID had an impact, but to be fair, were the supply chain issues stressed and stretched prior to the pandemic? Um, to your knowledge, were, were you getting any um, feedback or chatter on that before uh, the pandemic began? Um, there, uh, I wouldn't call them stressed. I would oh. say that there has been a, a concern about the exposure to the global supply chain in terms of quality issues that um, had been experienced on you know spot occasions in in uh, uh, in Asia in Asia supply markets and what if anything the industry could or should do about that. Uh, we have seen on, you know, strategic brands like or strategic products like biologics that, you know, there's more of a technology driver uh, or if it's a, you know, a new product introduction that those products are supplied out of, uh, you know, European or, or North American based uh, uh, manufacturing operations in early phases of their, their life cycle. And then as they move more to a mature, technology and a mature brand the supply chains are you know moved to low cost countries uh when it's more uh, appropriate but yeah th- so to the extent that those are stresses in the supply chain there th- those have been going on for the last five to ten years in, in terms of how you know how do we address quality issues in certain uh, supply markets yeah yeah now i i understand that you are primarily on the pharma side um, a lot of our audience is into med tech. I, I want to just ask, are, are we seeing some of this happening in med tech too? And, and what can you speak to uh, in terms of, of some of the supply chain issues in med tech? 
Yeah, I mean, I do have a few clients that are in the med tech space. So my experience is going to be more anecdotal as opposed to having a broader view of the, the, you know, the med tech drivers. But I do have a client that, you know, their products were significantly impacted by the reduction in elective uh, medical procedures uh, during COVID and have had to downsize, you know, considerably to adjust to that um reduction in demand and they'll have to flex back up when the demand comes back. So it's been a challenge for them from a supply chain perspective and in procurement in particular, where they've had to downsize their, their operations uh, quite a bit. Um, that particular client, as well as other clients in the space, I'm seeing a trend towards uh, outsource manufacturing. So there's a, a shift uh, there of doing internal um, Med tech uh, manufacturing and, and outsourcing to you know various providers in that space is is a strategic lever to you know they're really their end product and their marketing and customer service and, and product lifecycle management is their core uh, competency as opposed to manufacturing so they're we're seeing them move to an asset light uh, strategy interesting interesting now I've read something from the Harvard Harvard Business Review. And it's saying that the U.S. needs to reimagine its supply chain process. Uh, do you think this should be the case when we look at pharma and, and medtech um, in a sense? I, I know that you don't really touch medtech that much, but um, are we <laughs> at the point where we need to see pharma companies think outside of the box? And can you perhaps discuss some of the examples of what they're doing? Sure. I, I did read that Harvard Business Review uh, article. And one of the things that, that first came to mind when I was looking at it was that, you know, you pharma, pharma manufacturing, pharma supply chain, you know, pharma marketing and, and distribution, it, it's not a homogenous supply chain, right? You have a, a wide variability in the types of manufacturing and the strategies that these companies employed, employ and the maturity of the companies themselves in that, in that market as to what their strategy for supply chain is. So it can vary by product type. You have small molecules, which are kind of your historic, um, uh, your new specialty chemicals and your and your old uh, primary care uh, products. You've got your biologics, which require a different type of uh, manufacturing technology and, uh, you know, more lend itself to manufacturing in certain parts of the world. You've got vaccines, which you know are on an increasing uh, availability and demand, uh, and also you know kind of line up similarly to technologies within bio biologics. You've got uh, cell and gene therapies, uh, which is an entirely different manufacturing and supply chain process. And then you have drivers that vary based on the uh, you know whether it's a mature brand. Uh, an innovative uh, new product or, you know, something that's now generic in, in the U.S. And, you know, there's different drivers that drive your decision making around supply uh, and, and where you're going to manufacture. So, you know, when we talk about essential medicines, which were the subject of the Harvard Business Review, yes, there there's strategies around reimagining the supply chain, but much of it because of the, the very tight margins on those types of products and the you know, currently based on the technology we have to manufacture in, in the U.S. and in Europe are much more expensive and, and challenging for those companies that supply those products to compete um, based on the low margin are more looking at where are their uh, national stockpiles or uh, inventory strategies that can be employed to uh, weather any kind of disruptions to the supply chain. 
there are cases where uh, some of our clients are actually working with governments to set up those 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 stockpiles of those types of products and 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 thinking outside the box is you know having potentially none of, none of this that I'm aware of has actually been put in place but there are discussions around public private networks where the government finances uh, a large portion of of a secure stockpile of a, a particular medicine or group of medicines and the uh, the public company would manage that as kind of an inventory point and anything that would historically have just gone uh, expired and been gone to waste uh, when certain trigger points in the inventory cycle are met they actually put that product back into the commercial supply chain uh, to sell the product as opposed to just having it set in a static stockpile. So that's that's something a little bit outside the box that I've heard conversations about and I know is on a ongoing uh, discussions with certain government agencies. Yeah. Now, on the device side, I've heard some anecdotal discussions as well. I was at Biomed Device Silicon Valley. Uh, it was just a very interesting discussion on the supply chain and how med tech companies are having to partner with each other to get some of their manufacturing needs uh, completed and how they're going to have to work more together. They're going to have to work together as opposed to be being, uh, you know, competitors in in a sense, because, uh, you know, there, there are some issues because a lot of our uh, a lot of some of the parts and components for for med tech, they're developed overseas or outside of the U.S., and it's just so hard to get things back into the states because of issues uh, relating to the pandemic. Yeah, agreed. We've heard many examples of, of pharma companies working together, uh, even in that situation where we talk about a public-private network. That's not necessarily with a single uh, company in the, in the government. It could be multiple companies. Um, and we've certainly heard instances in, the, in vaccine manufacturing where companies have uh, worked across, uh, um, you know, multiple companies to help solve problems, and I, I think that'll be certainly a, a, an active way of working in the future when there's you know major disruptions to the supply chain. So I talked about, I did talk about generics and, and essential medicines and some of the strategies they're employing there, but there's other things that are, we see our clients doing, you know, more broadly and you know outside of just that group of. Uh, the, the pharma industry uh, to address issues, you know, one being, um, I think I mentioned before, the, the better visibility into the supplier and customer end of the supply chain, um, employing the technology that's required to do that and accelerating uh, the use of, of digital uh, enablers like that, not only for end-to-end -end supply chain visibility, but also for accelerating uh, automation and being able to, you know, further reduce the reliance on, you know, human intervention in a process, certainly if there's another pandemic or restriction of, of people's access to a manufacturing facility, the extent that you have uh, more automation, you know, re reduces that reliance on, on, on people. Um, another lever is a more strategic uh, analysis of inventory and instead of you know we've had a number of clients say you know hey we have inventory that covers our lead time but and as a resilience lever we're now also thinking through each node of the value chain of supply from raw materials to active pharmaceutical ingredient to formulation to packaging to local distribution if any one of those nodes is 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 down what is my recovery time with an alternate node to to backfill that supply and what inventory do i need to fill that gap or to cover that gap um 
and another lever similar to that, but requires different a different set of activities is cross-registering uh, su supply for different points in the value chain. So having multiple supply points that aren't in the same location or region. So if one manufacturing or distribution point in the supply chain is disrupted, I can I have a qualified supply source in another region that might hopefully not be disrupted that I can shift supply from. And many of our clients that we've talked to, you know, that was one of the things that, that really helped them in the pandemic is they had uh, cross regional supply points and cross registration, uh, but they're looking to leverage that more. Uh, for future considerations. And then the last one, um, you know, we hear talk about, you know, re, you know, bringing manufacturing back and even mentioned it about MedTech where they struggle. You know, mm -hmm. We've been having conversations about the huge capital investment that's required to localize, you know, manufacturing and it, it disaggregates the volume uh, across different re regions of demand. Um, so in Instead of you know building a highly capital intensive manufacturing facility that's going to take you know three years to build and another two years to qualify and get approved, uh, leveraging local contract manufacturers as a second supply point in a particular region. So that's one of the early levers that our clients have started looking at and are con are continuing to to explore more aggressively. Now, one thing I wanted to to ask or for you to dig into a little bit is when, when we're seeing companies kind of stockpile or we're seeing them try and come up with that magic number of the materials that they'll need in case there is another shortage. Um, what about expiration? Uh, I, I know some of these, um, excuse me, some of these uh, technology, some of these uh, um, pharmaceuticals, some of the materials uh, in them have an expiration date. And, you know, we're seeing some of that with the vaccines now, some of them that aren't being used. Uh, but I, I wanted to know, how do you mitigate or how do you deal with that? Or is that kind of the, the, the magic question right now? Is that kind of the question that goes unanswered? Well, I mean, on one end, you can say if you if you can't sell it and it reaches its expiration date, then the obsolescence cost is the cost of resilience, and you, you simply factor that into your your ongoing uh, operating expenses. Um, the the uh, setup that I mentioned earlier, the public private network, that was really that that design was aimed at a mechanism to reduce obsolescence for specific things like vaccines and essential medicines where you, but that also assumes that there's a commercial demand for that uh, material as it, it approaches some, you know, some point in time near its uh, shelf life. Uh, so, you know, the only other, the only other lever to pull with obsolescence is optimizing or reducing, <laughs> reducing inventories. And that's, I think, uh, in the opposite direction with, with what a lot of our clients are thinking about in terms of being prepared for the next, uh, you know, disruption in, in supply chains. Well, well, let's hope there's not another disruption or pandemic, at least in our lifetimes. <laughs> well, and it's it's not even, you know, so we, as we think about this, we we try not to talk specifically about a pandemic. You simply can't, you can't predict a black swan event. Yeah. Right? It's really looking out, you know, we've got, you know, uh, impacts of climate change. We just had a, you know, obviously a horrific, huge, you know, tornado go through the the middle of the country. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, many of our clients have operations still in Puerto Rico, which is, you know, due for every five to seven years, I believe, for a hurricane. Yeah. Uh, 
and so really planning for one of our clients has a facility in Puerto Rico and and because they planned extensively for the next hurricane uh, or the last hurricane they were they're uh, they were down for a very short period of time compared to what the, the rest of the island was in terms of being able to come back wow yeah it, it's amazing uh, you can't plan for these events yet you you have to try and plan for them. You know, you can't predict when they'll happen, but you plan and you put plans in place to, to mitigate um, the losses as best you can. Interesting. Interesting. Um, almost like um, almost like a fire drill in a sense. Uh, but uh, you're, you're just ready and you're on standby for when that event might occur. Exactly. I mean, um uh, we used to do these when I, I worked in industry for 15 years at a pharmaceutical company in, in supply chain, uh, running our, our global API manufacturing network. And one of the things we did on an annual basis with our quality team was, you know, do, do a uh, failure mode uh, uh, analysis of the entire network. And that was one of the scenarios we would run because we had uh, three manufacturing facilities in Puerto Rico. What what do we do if there's a hurricane and we're out for one month, three months, six months. What is our what's our backup strategy to cover that? And and you know, at some point you get to a cost restrictive or unrealistic solution, and you have to find something that's in the middle. Well, well, do you think now that we're going through a pandemic, and this will this is kind of a lessons learned question? Do you think that uh, this will be a part of training now for for those companies that are are at the head of this and that are, are are pretty on target do you think that they'll kind of run these drills like a pandemic drill or what do we do when there's a severe um do you think this will be used as a model for future learnings or to, to handle such disruptions absolutely and, and the fact is that uh, most of my uh pharma clients were already doing something of this nature already I yeah. think they will improve their resilience planning processes. They'll take the lessons learned. Uh, I've I've now sat on two panels. I'll be in another panel in in March on this topic. The industry is is working across companies to share their learnings, uh, understand what best practices are, how can they be employed to you know do things better. I have one client that really um, shared with me. A, a, it's not a it's pretty common sense their resilience strategy but the difference for them was they do it on an almost daily basis it's ingrained in the way that they do their supply chain planning that that resilience is a part of that process as opposed to a once or twice a year event sure sure yeah 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 so just a short answer to your question yes i'm seeing it every day that they're they're collecting these lessons learned and trying to employ them to get you know better and ensuring supply chain resilience yeah. Yeah. Well, finally, what are some key tips that you can give for companies experiencing the supply chain pain? I think we talked about them. It's it's that really, you know, in increasing the robustness of your planning processes. And, and again, I've you know I've been in industry and, and consulting for a combined 30 years, uh, largely in the life sciences industry and, you know, demand planning has always been a pain point, getting a consistent demand signal, but that's always going to be your starting point is how do I improve that process and understand my demand so that I can plan for it and my, you know, have the best supply planning possible. 
and 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 then the, the other thing you know you don't feel the supply chain pain if you've planned redundancy and had second sources of supply whether it be um, through a contract manufacturer or to through you know multiple nodes in your own internal manufacturing or supply network in all your years of, of being a consultant have you ever seen an issue like this I, I, I know there hasn't been a pandemic then but but just a, a slowdown or a disruption on this level of this magnitude have you seen one in all your years of being a consultant or being in the industry um not like this not that not that spread across the entire um you know network of of companies i've seen individual companies experience you know major disruptions because of an event uh, uh, because of an of a event in their own network i had a company that one of their plants blew up um you know or one of the buildings within the plant blew up and it, it cut off supply of you know some of their major products um and it was in a you know a very large facility in the in, in the middle of a large european uh a large european uh, community so it was it was a big deal um, you know, there's other ones that you could probably think about where there's been cyber events that have, you know, shut down uh, companies' ability to s- supply, but never anything as broad as as what we've seen with this pandemic in, in my experience that I can recall. Wow. Yes, it's just a systematic um uh, disruption just across all sectors. Interesting. Well, and it's it's a it's not just that it's in the pharma sector. It's it's one of those things that I talked about early on about the inability to predict. Um, you just don't see where it's going to come from. Uh, the availability of acetonitrile, though we don't use it that commonly in, in pharma manufacturing, it's used everywhere in the use of high-performance liquid chromatography in the in the QA labs where they release product. And so when acetonitrile uh, went back on allocation because it was in short supply, everybody was like, well, why? Because we're not producing acrylonitrile, which is used to make carpet and, and clothing. And because of the, uh, COVID slowed down the demand for construction materials, it slowed down the demand for carpet, and hence acetonitrile went in short supply. Wow. Wow. Almost like a domino effect. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. But you're, I mean, we see it everywhere. I mentioned the, the certain ores are not available, titanium, because of a, a, an issue in South Africa with, you know, restrictions on access to materials there. There's uh, energy uh, issues in China and India that are, you know, because of the shutdowns early on, uh, the, the labor supply was short, and then, you know, oil prices have been impacted by COVID, and it's just, just it's created really a pinball effect within all the various uh, chemical availabilities and trying to figure out what all those drivers are has been a challenge. I can only imagine. Yeah. And, and the unfortunate part is that, you know, we're living through it. This is playing out in real time. And the lessons that we have to learn, we have to learn them very quickly. I'm, I'm wondering this time next year uh, where we'll be just with supply chain issues and where we'll be with the pandemic and again it's very fluid uh the conversation i had um, uh with you all with ey in october i believe you know we were just dealing with delta <laughs> now it's omnicron you know it um we were just dealing with that and maybe possibly seeing some light at the end of the tunnel but right after that um podcast was posted um and i'll 
put a link in. I, I think all our um, our audience should uh, listen to that. It's a very great, uh, it was a very good interview. But um, I think right after it was posted, we went into this with Omicron and shows just how fluid this situation is and how much it changes overnight. Yeah, and you really can't predict what's going to happen next, right? Because, you know, as we hopefully get a larger percentage of the population vaccinated, um, that reduces the uh, ability of the the virus to uh, mutate and create new variants. And we wait and see. you know, the, the positive sign with Omicron is that it doesn't seem to produce as much uh, negative side effects, but you don't know that, you know, the fact that it might spread more rapidly might lead us to the next variant more quickly. And, and nobody will, nobody knows right now what that's going to do. I think on the other end of it, we've seen it's now getting into a little bit of a predictable, you know, cycle in mm-hmm. terms of the, the flare-ups and the, and the, you know, the two months, uh, two-month spike and then comes back down. People seem to get, be getting into a bit more routine. Uh, and then and, and when we talk about supply chain, you know, some of the big things that we're seeing with the the, the short supply or the the shipping capacity issues in, in the ports, you know, again, I can't predict the future, but I, I, you know, some of our logistics experts are saying that's, you know, really 12 months to, you know, come under control and probably more like 18 months to get back to normal. But again, I can't predict the future. It's just what I'm hearing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, you know, we're living through it. This is real time. So, yeah, it it would be difficult to put a finger on that. Well, Darren, thank you for coming out to to Let's Talk MedTech. I really appreciate you stopping by and talking about this important issue for our audience. Hey, it was glad to be be here, Omar, and a great conversation. Yeah. Hopefully when we talk again, things will be a little bit more predictable and not as fluid, <laughs> be a little more static. I think all our nerves could could, could really uh, long or, or, or need that, you know? Yeah, it would be great to be having a conversation about how everything's stabilized and there's no supply chain issues. Exactly. Well, thank you all. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you.